0: man so much uh, for which we should and can and will uh, give thanks god has provided it is so good to be at this time of year anticipating harvest but also seeing god at work doing uh, and preparing for a harvest as well i think as uh, so many people in visible ways serving him uh, so grateful for those stepping up to volunteer in Iwana we've been having uh, i think you know up, upwards of 70 some kids here on Wednesday night, and a lot of people serving, a lot of people serving in youth groups, Sunday school, ways that are somewhat visible, and then a whole bunch of people that just serve the church in all sorts of unnoticed ways. And uh, I, I'd list them, and then I'd forget a whole bunch. And so, just thank you, uh, all of you, who find ways to serve one another in in things that uh, most of the time go unnoticed. We're grateful for that. So, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. There's a lot of things about which we can say that, isn't there? Just, I'm not sure. Like, we look at an unstable world around us, and we say, you know, we're in the middle of what many call just a moral revolution, where things that not so very long ago and for all of human history were looked upon as wrong are now celebrated as good. Will this turn around? And if so, how? Well, I'm not sure. Our economy is in a tough spot. Will things get worse there before they get better? I'm not sure. I don't know. It's an election year. Who will win? What difference will that make? I, I'm not sure. And then we think of our own lives. Our own lives are filled with instability. You're in a marriage that's grown cold. Is that going to heat up again anytime soon? I'm not sure. Your kids are struggling. Are they going to make it? I'm not sure. Who should I marry? What job should I take? When should we start combining? I'm not sure. I don't know. Should I sell now or wait? Would this be a wise investment? I'm I'm not sure. What will the doctor say when I go to my next appointment? I'm not sure. We live really unstable lives in what seems like an unstable world. There's a lot of things where if we're just completely honest, we just have to say, I'm I don't know. I'm not sure. We long for something more sure, more steady. You remember as we've been walking through the book of Hebrews that the original audience of this book are unstable people living in an unstable world at an unstable time. They're wondering, is the persecution from the Romans that we've seen ramping up, is that about to wreak havoc on my own family? They're not sure. They're wondering, many of them, would it be better for me and my family to just go back to our old religion, to go back to Judaism? They're not sure. They think maybe their old religion would provide them with some stability in these unstable times in this unstable world. But the author of Hebrews is writing and preaching to try to convince them to stick with Jesus because he's better than anything. He's already argued that Jesus is better than angels in chapters 1 and 2. Then we saw in chapters 3 and 4, Jesus is better than Moses. And then at the end of chapter 4, the new argument starts. So it's going to take us all the way through the end of chapter 7, that Jesus is the better priest. And so he started that argument. Pastor Nick walked us through that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, there was like a pause in the argument where he gave them a stern admonition, like a parent disappointed with the kids that they're not growing up like they should be, and he let them know that. You're still drinking milk. You should be on solid food by now. It's time for you to start teaching. So there's this stern admonition followed by a warning, lest you fall away. And then we got this little glimpse of encouragement at the end of the passage last week. And that will carry into what we're looking at this this week. Before we get to the conclusion of the argument about how Jesus is a better priest, next week in chapter 7, which by the way is complicated, you want to read through it a few times before you come next Sunday. But before we get there, there's some much needed encouragement. Much needed encouragement for the original audience of Hebrews, but also much needed encouragement for us people like us living in an unstable world and if we're honest unstable people living in an unstable world at an unstable time we need something more sure more steady and we're going to see that in Hebrews 6:13 to 20 today so if you're able to our custom is that we stand together as we read the very word of god let's pray Oh God, we have come to you, we've heard from your word that you're a God who so loved us that you gave your only Son. We've responded in the way that we rightly should by worshiping you, and it is certainly right for your people to gather together around your word, to be moved by your Spirit, that we might become more holy, that we might become obedient, that we might be in awe once again of who you are and what you do. And I know I can't do that with my words, and so I pray that you would do it through me with your word, by your spirit now. Be at work in all of us. Make us good soil so that what is planted begins to grow and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's hear God's word. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13, through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You can be seated. As always inside your bulletin, there is a sermon notes page. Life group guide is is a part of that as well. Uh, We need to be focused if we're going to understand and believe and obey and carry out God's Word, and we need each other. So, that's what our life groups focus on doing. A couple of points today, and I'm saving all the application of this for the end, but I want us to remember that the audience hearing this original message had Jewish roots, which probably most of us here today don't have. What we call the Old Testament were their scriptures, and they knew them very well. Some of you also know the Old Testament very well. Others of you, maybe not quite as familiar. The father of their faith was a man named Abraham, and they knew his story well, that God had made a promise. Way back in the book of Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham That he will give him a land and that he will give him many descendants that will become a nation that will then be a blessing to other nations. When Abraham received this promise, he was already relatively old. Don't be offended if you know how old Abraham was and what I'm saying about you. But he was relatively old when he receives the promise... And for year after year after year, he and his wife Sarah await part of the fulfillment of the promise. And that is, they're awaiting the birth of their first child, and it just doesn't come. Year after year, month after month, they wait. But eventually, God does fulfill that portion of his promise and and gives Abraham and Sarah a son And then God tests Abraham. So we're in Genesis chapter 22 when we see God tell Abraham to take his only son Isaac and to offer him as a burnt offering. And and the response of Abraham is that Abraham again exhibits faith and trust in God. And God provides so that Abraham's son lives and then God says this, so this is a quote from Genesis chapter 22. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And so that account is what the author here in Hebrews in verses 13 and 14 is referring back to. There in verses 13 to 14, where Abraham's faith is highlighted. When God made a promise, it says, to Abraham, and then pointing out this fact that he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And here's the result, verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. All throughout the Old Testament, Abraham is looked to as an example of what faith in God looks like. Faith in the promises of God being fulfilled. And the result of this for Abraham is that he, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So Abraham is an example not only of faith, but his story reveals something about the character of God. And that is this. We learn from very early on in the Bible that God is a God who can be trusted. God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled. First, in the birth of Isaac, and then Jacob, who was renamed Israel, uh, who was the father of the nation. You know, so, so, 12 tribes of Israel that come from that. But ultimately, God's promise to Abraham fulfilled in the person of Jesus so that all who are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus are like children of Abraham, right? We're, according to this passage, heirs of the promise. We're heirs. We receive this same promise. So look at verses 16 to 18, and we're going to see more clearly even yet why God is trustworthy. This is the key. God is trustworthy. Look at verses 16 to 18. For people swear by something, greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, and we'll go to the rest of that verse here in a little bit. But it's trying to communicate very clearly that God is a God who is trustworthy by two unchangeable things. Unchangeable thing number one is that God made an oath, an unchangeable oath. We all have been in relationship with people who have made a commitment and not followed through, right? We've all been in a relationship with somebody like that. But God here makes an oath. And and we noticed even as our family was looking through this again last night, all these words like confirmation, guaranteed, more convincingly, unchangeable, all of these words to help us see that God is a God who is trustworthy. And he has made an oath. And this oath he makes, when he says when he makes it, he swears by himself because even if we were making an oath, so I've testified in court before, maybe you've done that as well, you have to place your hand on something uh, that is of greater authority. Like, I'm under the authority of this. There's something greater authority, and so put your hand on a Bible, right, and swear to tell the truth. It's it's like taking a step up rather than just just testifying something. It's, It's saying under the authority of something greater than myself, I'm testifying this. But but when God makes an oath, there's nothing greater than Himself. So He swears by Himself. And why does He do it? It says here, in order to show more convincingly the heirs of the promise. God is trustworthy because He makes an oath, and it's impossible for God to lie, it says there. Right? Anybody else who makes an oath to you, how many people have? put their hand on a Bible and testified in court something that was a blatant lie. All sorts of people have done that. But God, as he makes an oath and swears by himself, it's impossible for him to lie. This is one of the reasons that God is trustworthy. He cannot lie. Everything he says is true. But he's desiring to show more convincingly. If God hadn't made an oath, he didn't need to swear by himself. Everything he says is true, so he's trustworthy. But he goes, in order to show more convincingly, he makes an oath. We do the same kind of thing. So that if I want to convince somebody that I'm going to follow through on what I say, I might look them in the eye and say to them, You have my word, right? Or I pinky promise, right? Whatever it might be. Like we, we say something, uh, even when you think about marriage. think about marriage, it's it's a vow made publicly in front of other people. It's not just saying, yeah, hey, let's get married, and then it's kind of this private, most of the time, it's a very public, in front of other people, I'm going to make a formal vow to you. And in order to show more convincingly that God can be trusted, He makes this oath. He swears by Himself. All of us, when we have had somebody, maybe even somebody that says, you have my word. Maybe it was somebody to whom you were married, and they shared a marriage vow, and they broke those vows, and you're no longer married, right? We've felt the pain and the sting that comes along with somebody making a promise and not following through. And what we hear, again, all throughout Scripture, but here in this passage is God who makes a promise will always follow through. God is completely trustworthy, and so like Abraham, we can trust him. That's the tail end of verse 18. The tail end of verse 18 says, we who have fled for refuge. Isn't that a great description of a Christian? That, that's a great description of us. We who have fled for refuge. We're looking at everything around us and even what's inside of us and saying, I, I am unsafe on my own. I need to flee for refuge to Jesus. Foul I to the fountain fly, Right? That's that's where I need to go. We who have fled for refuge, listen to this, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God's promise or purpose is, sure, it's unchangeable. God's promise that his people would live forever in his kingdom under his rule, that's a promise that that he's not looking for a plan B because that didn't work out. That is the plan and purpose of God. It's unchangeable. That's the second unchangeable thing, this plan or purpose of God. And God is completely trustworthy, and that has an effect on the Hebrew people. What effect should that have on them? That they would have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. This promise of salvation, this promise of eternal rest, this promise that was given to Abraham that they would forever be God's people, living in God's place and his presence under his rule, this promise is given to them as the hope set before them. And this is something they can hold fast to in a world where everything's quickly turning against them. The Roman government coming down on Christians and, and persecuting, tearing families apart. Unstable people living in an unstable time are being reminded you can hold fast to this hope set before you. God is trustworthy. Trust Him just as Abraham did. There's application certainly for us in this. We'll get to that in a moment, but let's, let's move on to these last two verses first. I just want you to hear again these two glorious verses. Just listen to verses 19 to 20. says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the, the author of Hebrews uses a lot of analogies. Last week was milk and solid food. Now he's, he's using some uh, some like sailing lake sea language. Now, I come from the land of 10,000 lakes. I looked it up this week. There's actually just shy of 12,000. I looked up how many are in Iowa. It's under 100. So, there's a difference between uh, Minnesota and Iowa. So, so before, like when he's doing some stuff about like crops in verses 7 and 8, you're all like, oh yeah, I totally get what he's saying. Maybe because we're Iowans, uh, we don't totally understand this idea of the need for an anchor. Uh, When I was a kid, I would sometimes go fishing with my grandpa, my mom's dad, and he would take us out in his little boat and we would find a spot that he thought fish might be biting. And many times he would get to a spot, turn off the motor, and we would just sit. But as we just sat, we didn't just stay in one place. Because of wind and because of current and everything else, we would soon find ourselves in a different place where he stopped. And that was sometimes okay because we're moving along seeing where fish might be biting. But if we found a spot, so sometimes he would then turn on his little trolling motor and get us back to a spot where he knew there's going to be fish here. And if we knew this is a spot where we want to land, then we would take the little anchor out of the boat and drop it to the bottom so that we would stay there in one place. Something tethering us to one place. That we might not be pushed around by the wind or the current or whatever else, but we would stay anchored in one spot. And so that's the analogy used here when he says, we have this. And I think he's referring to Jesus, the one who is the fulfillment of God's promise, the hope set before us. This, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Remember, their situation, persecution on the rise. Families being broken apart, finances being threatened because of their faith in Jesus. And so much in their life seems so unsure. How refreshing for them to hear that we have this this hope set before us Jesus, the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls. When the waves and wind are threatening to not just get them adrift, but to push them into a rock. And cause their destruction. Yet they are held by something more sure and steady. An anchor for the soul. And it keeps getting better. Because this Jesus offers them a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. He's the high priest forever. More on that part about Melchizedek next week. But for now, notice this. Let's not miss this. That Jesus can take the people to a place that they could never have gone back in their days of Judaism. Right? Because back in their old religion, it was one person from all of the people of Israel, one person, one time of year, who could go behind the curtain into the most holy place and be in the very presence of God. God. One person. But when Jesus died on the cross, Matthew tells us that this thick curtain torn in two from top to bottom, that Jesus has entered into the very presence and all who follow him, it says here he's like a forerunner, one who goes before us, that all who follow Jesus can now forever be in the eternal presence of God. Oh, what a glorious truth this must have been for these Jewish people. What a reminder. Those tempted maybe to go back are reminded that there's only one way that you can get into the presence, the very presence of God, and it is through faith in Jesus. They would have been familiar with Psalm 16. They would have longed for God's presence. This is one of my favorite psalms. The very last verse of Psalm 16, verse 11, says this, You make known to me the path of life in your presence... There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And how the struggling, unstable Christians living in a struggling, unstable world needed to hear this. That only through Jesus can you enter into God's presence. So, application for us. Two points of application. One. One. Only Jesus can take us into God's presence. Only Jesus can take us into God's presence. I want to speak to two different groups of people with this point of application. I want to speak, first of, the, first of all, to those of you who have not yet put your faith in Jesus. You're here because you're religious, because somebody invited you, because you're curious, whatever it might be, I want to speak to you and I want to share first some good news, then some bad news, then some good news. The good news I want to share with you is this, that the God who made you is so good and holy and just that being in his presence is the best thing that there is. There is nothing better that you will ever experience on this earth than being in the very presence of God. This is a God who you want to know and worship for the rest of eternity. I'm just telling you this. But let me also tell you some bad news. That if you were to stand before him on your own, he as the judge, you would be convicted as guilty because you, like all humans, are sinful before this holy God. And 2 Thessalonians 1 tells us this frightening truth. It says this, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, listen, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. All are sinners who deserve the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from His glory. And just as being in the presence is better than anything we could experience on earth, being in the presence of the Lord is better than anything we could ever experience on earth. Some people go through all sorts of things on earth. Some of them even call it hell on earth. But let me tell you, it is nothing than being separated eternally, nothing worse than being separated eternally from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. That's the bad news. And the good news is something we already heard earlier today, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life, life forever in God's presence. If you believe this good news, bad news, and good news, but have not yet put your faith in Jesus, then then come and talk to me even today. Now, I want to apply this same point, though, to those of you who do trust in Jesus. Because we don't want to just think, oh, yes, I already got that. I got eternal life. I think I'm good. Now I just like, go to work and go to school and do my thing. Right? No. Listen, we need to hear this as well. Only Jesus can take us into God's presence. For those of us, this is not only true. If you trust in Jesus, it's not only true for your eternal future. This is true for today. We need to remember what Christ has done for us that we might, as Pastor Nick showed us a couple of weeks ago, come before the throne of grace with confidence. We have no right on our own to enter into the presence of God, but Jesus as our high priest who passed through the heavens, he is a forerunner for us. We can enter into the very presence of God, accessing the throne of grace with confidence. So we, as Christians, need to be reminded there's nothing better than the presence of God. And so I want more time spent in prayer accessing the throne of grace with confidence. I want more time hearing from Him in His Word. I'm going to be in the presence of God as I talk to Him and as He communicates with me through His Word. There's nothing better than that the conviction and comfort of the Holy Spirit inside us, the gathering together of God's people where we get this little foretaste, this little glimpse of, oh, listen to these voices around me singing what is true about our Creator and Savior and Redeemer. I want that for all of eternity. We need to hear again this truth that only Jesus can take us into God's presence. And then the final point of application is this, simply this. Hold fast to our hope. Jesus, the sure and steady anchor. I started out the sermon acknowledging that as unstable people in an unstable world, there's a whole bunch of things where if we're honest, we just have to say, I'm not sure. We think about economy, we think about elections, we think about marriage, about kids, about finances, about our health, and it often feels like everything's falling apart. And so are we. How's it all going to turn out? We say, I'm not sure, but listen to this truth. Christ is our sure and steady anchor. When we look around and we just don't get why all the things around us are happening the way they are and the winds of doubt blow through us, when it's been just one thing after another in our lives, our sails have all been torn. When we're suffering, or sometimes even worse, when the people that we love are suffering and all we can do is watch. When we battle shame over our past, when we fall and fail again in the fight against temptation and sin and addiction, when we feel hopeless, we need to know that we are not hopeless. Things are not hopeless because Christ is our sure and steady anchor. He is our hope. And so what do we do? Just hang on. Hold fast to Him is what it says here. Hold fast to Him who is the hope set before us, who is our sure and steady anchor. We need to remind one another of that. So we're going to sing that song that we had learned over the last couple of weeks. It comes right out of this passage, actually. And I want us, as we're doing that Maybe you're at a spot where, man, the winds of doubt are blowing through me. My sails are torn. I don't know if I can sing out these words. That's fine. There's going to be a hundred some other voices around you. And if you're one of those other voices who know that Christ is your sure and steady anchor, then whether you can sing well or not, sing loudly so the people around you can become more fully convinced that Jesus is sure and steady even when their life feels like it's falling apart. We need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that again and again. Let's pray. God, would you, would you save those who are lost today? Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, cause to be born again those who are seeing today that they are sinners in need of a Savior? And would you help us all? to long for your presence, to really believe that we can't find any greater joy anywhere else, that there is no greater pleasure anywhere else than in you, Jesus. Would you help those who are weary, those who are suffering? Would you be with those who have doubts, that those who are ashamed would hold fast to Christ, our sure and steady anchor, Oh God, you know us. We don't have to hide anything from you. We're unstable people living in what feels like an unstable world. But we know that you, Jesus, are our only hope. So we come to the Father in your name, Jesus. The one who is the forerunner, allowing us to enter into a place that we have no business going on our own. We thank you for who you are and for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand.